Chapter 17 The White Train The smooth metal gave the large locomotive a sleek look, soaking up and reflecting a little bit of light filtering into the cavern. Callie stood directly in front of the lifeless machine on the cave floor, staring it down as she squeezed Rass's hand tightly. Have you ever seen one of these outside of your dreams? Rass asked. Like in a book or something? Hal had a model of it on his desk, Callie said, bathing Rass with a glow of her goggles. Rass paused. So this is mind-boggling and everything, but what are we doing besides looking at it? I don't know if I can make myself go in, Callie said, stepping to the side of the tracks to inspect the multi-car train. I hate to rush you, but I also hate the fox sitting right there when the elders might be just outside the cave, Rass said quietly. We'd run into them eventually, right? I'm glad we're being optimistic. Callie stepped purposely toward the second car, pulling Rass along. The train looked fresh off the assembly line, free of rust or wear. She took a hesitant step up to the doorway. I don't like this, Rass said. What if there are elders just waiting to activate when someone steps on board? I mean, who else would ride this from the wild? I don't know, but there has to be a reason I keep dreaming about this, she said. She tugged on Rass's hand and pulled herself up into the entrance of the passenger car. May I remind you that I promised to keep you safe? You are, aren't you? Yes, Rass said, stepping up into the train. His knack visions did next to nothing to pierce the darkness. But part of protecting you means not letting you walk into dangerous situations. It's empty, Rass, Callie said. There's nothing in here but seats. Rass stepped in and steadied himself by clamping his free hand on the fine leather back of one of the padded benches. He wondered when machines had begun appreciating finer comforts. All right, so why would someone abandon a train in a cave? They built a railroad through here, so they obviously meant to use it, Kelly said. Do you think it ran to Bogues? Maybe it shuttled supplies during the war, Kelly said, continuing her slow walk and inspecting each seat. Airships would have been more effective, Rass said. People? How big are these seats? I guess elder-sized, she said. She hoisted herself up to sit in one of the seats. It's bigger in my dreams, though. Mind if I borrow your eyes? Rass asked. Callie removed her goggles and offered them to Rass. The interior of the train came into view. He saw Callie sitting, nervously swinging her legs off the edge of the seat. The floor and ceiling held ornate matching patterns. Still gripping Callie's hand, he knelt, inspecting the space underneath the benches. Four seats down lie an abandoned box. Found something, Rass said, pulling Callie from her seat and guiding her further down the train. What? Callie asked excitedly, almost tripping in the darkness. Rass leaned underneath the bench and hefted the two-foot-wide box by its handle, then placed it on the seat in front of him. He extracted the goggles from his head, held the left half to his right eye, and pulled Callie in close until the sides of their heads leaned against one another. He placed the lens over her left eye. It's a suitcase, Callie said, her words reverberating through Rass's head. She eagerly reached her free hand to work the latches. With two clicks, the restraints snapped open, revealing a small treasure trove of information. Before them lie baby clothes, photo of a man and a woman holding a child, papers, and several small plush toys. They were taking children from Bogues? Rass asked. No. Look at these papers, she said. I recognize this writing. Rass picked up one of the pieces of paper, inspecting the funny-looking scrawling. Hal? Hal. I'm going to have a lot of questions for that man when we get back, Rass said. He pulled away from the lens and noted a little more daylight spilling into the cabin through the window curtains. Something caught his eye and he brushed open the thick material, revealing three metal figures standing along a cave wall. Elders. Callie? Yes? She asked, lost in the pictures. I think we should go. Can we see what else is in here? Callie asked while closely inspecting the contents of the case. Rass tapped her on the shoulder. She turned her attention to the window, then gasped. Why aren't they moving? I don't know, but that seems like the kind of question you ask in a story and then they start moving, Rass said. A pause. But we can't leave yet, 
she said. Now when I still have no idea why I've dreamed about this place. Maybe you saw pictures of trains when you were little. No, the details are exactly the same. She ran her hand over the paneling around the window, taking a fistful of curtains. What sort of answers could there be? There are elders out there and there's confusion in here, Rass said, pointing to the contents of the case. I'd feel a lot better mulling over our clues with a tank full of wild air. But then we can come here on our way out? Kelly asked. You're the only one who knows how to get here, so I think it's safe to say this will all be here anytime we want to visit. Rass gave one last look to the elders, wondering if he was just imagining the machines having stepped closer. He moved away from the window, gently bringing Callie with him. Rass, what am I? Callie asked, resisting his pull. You're a beautiful girl who is reading way too much into a train. Callie stared at Rass blankly. You think I'm beautiful? Rass's expression softened and he gave a faint laugh. Have you ever looked in a mirror? He took a deep breath. All of this we can talk about while moving. She nodded, not meeting Rass's eye, then shut the case with her free hand, allowing Rass to guide her away from her dream train. As they exited the passenger car, the metal men stood fifty yards away, stationary. Regardless, Rass started into a jog toward the gangplank of the brass fox and quickly boarded. Dixie sat slumped against the bridge's railing, head cradled in her hands. Find anything? Callie held up the suitcase with a melancholic look on her face. More questions. Well... Life's no fun when you run out of those, Tixie said. Her eyes narrowed at the pair and a sad grin grew. Aw, you're holding hands now. Medicinal purposes, Rass said, right? He looked to Callie, who nodded. Moments later, Rass pulled the brass fox back into the sky and headed for daylight. Rass worked the controls one-handed while Callie silently studied the photos in the suitcase. As they glided through the mouth of the cavern, the wild met them with all of its barren, craggy glory. The parched ground extended beyond the cliffs to a horizon scattered with mesas and jagged mountains. Rass wondered if it had always been so bleak or if being cut off from energy had killed the vegetation. No wonder the elders wanted to escape, said Callie. Seems fine for automatons. Sparse on amenities, but I guess all you'd need is an oil can. Rass said. Tixie furtively fished something out of her pocket and rolled a piece of paper into it. She then pulled a pistol from her bag. Uh, Tixie? Where did you get that? Rass asked. She loaded the gun with something that looked like a tube. Conflict played across her face as she pulled back the hammer. I am so, so sorry. She lifted her arm to the sky. No! Rass dove for the pistol, but even in a slightly faster state, he couldn't reach her in time. She pulled the trigger and two things fired out of the barrels. One of them Rass couldn't see, but the other was a flare. You really shouldn't have come back for me, said Dixie. Rass clenched his jaw, backpedaling. Who did you send that to? What's going on? Callie asked. That gun fires off a flare in a tube with a message that will travel to a predetermined place if it's within range. Smart, said Rass. The collective wanted to get into the wild, and I'm guessing we just brought one of their couriers. What? Callie asked. The fight in the alley. I bet that was staged, Rass said. Two co-workers drew the short straws so you could play the sympathy and owe me a favor. If it's any consolation, I wasn't lying about that, Dixie said. They were sky pirates, but I did pick the fight. Kelly looked stunned. Why would you do this? Entire cities are falling out of the sky because the collective controls energy. What do you think will happen when they regulate time, too? Hunt down and kill sky pirates. How many people don't have to die if one side is frozen? Rass's backtracking finally landed him at the console. He jammed the throttle forward and dashed down to the deck, disappearing into the captain's quarters to retrieve his grapple gun. He returned to see Dixie pointing a flintlock at him, but he continued to lace up the straps. Stop the ship, Rass, Dixie ordered. Rass returned to the controls, ignoring the threat. Have you ever been to Verdant, Dixie? Oh, don't start that, she said. Verdant sank before you left me at Derailleur. If I told you that, you wouldn't have kept going to the wild. You're lying, Callie said, turning to Rass. She's lying, right? She had better be. 
because she's going to take away the last thing between me and desperation, and none of us wants to see what that looks like again. Callie stepped between Rass and the pistol. If Ferdin is gone, then he's all I have left, and you're not taking that from me. Rass looked up and sighed. She can't shoot you. You're too valuable to the collective. Not anymore, Dixie said. They needed her to get into the wild. It's you they want now. She kept the gun trained on Callie. Why would anybody want me? Rass asked. You're an anomaly. In a world where time can be stopped, how much do you think people would pay to opt out of the system? Dixie asked. Stop the ship. She gestured the gun at Rass, then returned her aim to Callie. Rass angrily jerked the throttle back. So what do you get for leading the collective here? Satisfaction. Hmm. I would have bargained to get Solaria off the ground for something as impossible as breaching the wild. Dixie stood silent. So you are Dr. O's granddaughter, Rass said, and you're doing what you had to do to save your city. If I don't get you back to Derailier, Foster's deal is off, Dixie said. You accomplish your job and he makes his promises conditional on future tasks? Callie asked. What? Dixie asked. I'm just wondering how many things he'll get you to do before he sends you on a suicide mission, Callie said, or it just kills you when you decide you've had enough. Shut up, both of you, Dixie said. We're done talking. Hours passed before a voice boomed over distorted loudspeakers. Surrender all arms peacefully and prepare for boarding. This is your only warning. A collective ship exited the cave and glided to a stop alongside the brass fox, then extended its plank to bridge the gap for a dozen armed men. An officer from the other ship spoke in legalities that Rass summarily ignored as he watched Callie be restrained and dragged off his ship, cuffs ratcheted too tightly around his wrists. A slap to the face by the gaunt officer brought Rass's attention to him. I said, are you ignoring me? Yes. Yes, I am. Rass said. The officer motioned to one of his men, who stepped up and buried a fist deep into Rass's stomach, forcing the wind merchant to suck for air and drop to his knees. Your ship is here my property of the collective, as it was discovered unmanned upon our arrival, the officer said. Correct, Higgins? The soldier chuckled darkly as he picked Rass up and manhandled him down the deck and over to the broad plank on the collective ship. Callie stood guarded by two men on the far end of the deck. She looked pale, and any motion Rass made toward her was met with force. You're killing her. Rass shouted. She can't be away from me out here. She screamed in pain, closing her eyes. A rather romantic notion, the officer said. He's not lying, Dixie said. You should probably keep them together. I did not ask for your opinion, whelp. Captain, bogey's inbound, a crew member shouted, pointing upward. Descending! Before the collective ship could move, a dozen silver elder airships dropped down to match altitude. One ship pulled close enough to reach a gangplank across. Ready arms! The officer commanded. They're boarding. With a snap hiss from the elder vessel, a dozen large clockwork soldiers filed out onto the collective ship deck. Muskets fired, clouding the area with smoke as eight-foot-tall metal men marched forward, their thick arms swinging, knocking collective personnel overboard. The volleys of small arms filed did little more than dent their finish. Two of the clockwork beasts headed straight for Callie, relieving her of her guards. She opened her now purple eyes in terror. Rass watched the scene play out in slow motion before him. Ducking beneath the slowest escort, he snatched the keyring and freed himself from his restraints. Dashing through the cave, chaos toward Callie. He sidestepped one elder's lumbering swipe and ducked beneath another. Ahead, one of the elders near Callie sprayed her with a gas from a canister attached to its wrist. With cuffs now unlocked, Rass's plan was to tackle Callie over the railing and grapple back to his ship. His plan would have worked if not for the elder next to Callie, which backhanded a mid-dive, altering both his path and his ability to remain conscious. Callie awoke at the sharp pain in her arm that made her gasp. She knew the familiar stick of a needle from many doctor's visits, but her physicians had never restrained her arms and legs like this. The elder that had stuck her turned and stomped down a short corridor that opened up to the ship's bridge. The inescapable gurney was placed inside a half-bowl designed to latch with a domed encasement hanging above her. Does anyone feel like telling me what's going on? 
Callie said weakly, trying not to look at the uncovered needle. None of the twenty or so machine men acknowledged her request. She felt as if an invisible hand were pushing her deeper into the gurney. They were ascending. She wished she could be fascinated with finally seeing the elders up close. The idea of how the automatons must have been constructed baffled her, and the best explanation she could muster resembled the stories of alchemists or magicians from her library. The elder at the head of the bridge spoke in a flowing and elegant sounds, at least for a speech pipe through speakers. Callie watched twenty machines reach up and grab their head, pull, and dislodge the metal shell to reveal people underneath. They weren't clockwork giants, but merely men and women in large suits, albeit tall men and women in large suits. The chief elder turned from his position and walked down the central walkway, either side of which held a pit of crew. His buzzed hair and gaunt face gave him a very austere and martial look. Approaching Callie, he towered over her with a stern expression which softened as he took a knee and brought himself down to her level. The commander spoke in a melodic, soothing tone, then awaited a response. His eyes held pity. I, uh... Callie muttered in utter confusion until it dawned on her. They thought she was an elder, too. She attempted to parrot the last phrase issued by the commander. His face contorted and his eyes narrowed. She didn't know how to keep up the ruse. Her eyes darted around until she saw a familiar face in the pit. Carter? The commander turned to his crew, then back to Callie. Carter? He asked, pointing to his man. Callie nodded, and the commander barked an order. The tall man left his post and stood at attention upon reaching his leader. The commander spoke to Carter, who relayed the message. The commander wishes to know why you won't speak Elorian. What's happening, Carter? Callie asked. Carter explained something in his native tongue that sounded far lengthier than a mere translation to the commander, who interrupted, then finally spoke in words Callie understood. The close call must have addled your mind, the commander said in a tender tone. We almost lost you. You weren't meant to be brought so low. Did your family not tell you that you were a conduit? Callie shook her head. And do you know what that means in times like these? What? What does that mean? Times like what? Callie asked. The commander turned to address her. It means, my dear girl, that Aloria needs you now more than anyone else. I'm so sorry. Sorry for what? The commander looked to Carter. You have leave to send condolences to her family. The main gate will soon be breached, so move quickly. Please tell them that Aloria would be lost without her. Without addressing Callie again, the commander left to return to his station. Carter, tell me what's going on, Callie said. Where are your friends? I don't have much time, Carter said. I don't know. We came through the pass with a white train in it. The children's pass? Carter asked. I don't know. We just flew through there, Callie said. Why is it called the children's pass? I don't have time to explain it. Carter, please, I need to know. Carter looked over his shoulder. Every Elorian knows about the children's pass. I'm not Elorian, Callie said. You're a conduit and probably the only unfrozen one left, Carter said. You're a Lorian. Humor me, Callie said quickly. Why is that train in the children's pass? Pretend I forgot. Carter sighed. Fine. The short of it is that the outsiders used a new weapon on us during the Great War, so we shut ourselves in and sent children away in trains in case they bombed our cities, he said. The children's pass was thick with time and its train got stuck, so when the elders tried to block every pass into Aloria, they couldn't bring themselves to destroy the pass with the children in it. And what happened to the children? I thought they were still down there, Carter said. Whenever someone goes to check, they don't come back. Callie lay silently, processing the information, wondering if her dreams weren't based on memories. How old would one of those children look today if they were still alive? I don't know. I guess it depends on whether they left the tunnel. I really have to go, Callista, Carter said. They're going to use you to freeze the outsider fleet. What? How? Carter gestured to the mechanism surrounding her. I don't know what the outsiders called it, but they used this against us in the war. I'll try to find your friends. You don't deserve to die like this. Die? 
I'll hurry, said Carter, dashing off. The commander spoke into the loudspeaker, and the top half of the sphere descended atop Callie, sealing her in with a hiss and giving her only a small porthole to see the start of the second clockwork war.